Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. As always, you can reach us 232-1542. You can send a message to the KPL app chat. Just hit the little chat button up there on the screen. Hit general message and you can send a message to the show. I typically respond to those as best I can. All right, so let's get to the news of the day. And some of the big news coming to the local area is... The LAGCO Energy Fest, which is coming up next week. You've heard us promoting it. Uh, Moonger Fawn will be there live for his show next week. But joining us on the phone today is this year's LAGCO Louie, my friend Steve Maley. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great, Joe. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you as well. So I, I have to ask right out the bat, what is a LAGCO Louie? Well, ever since the beginning of the show, uh, they kind of... Uh, uh, named a, a, a local figure in the oil industry as, as sort of a mascot. Uh, I'm honored and humbled to be considered to be this year's uh, Lagco Louie, following in the tradition of notable names like Paul Hilliard and Bo Ramsey, uh, Don Briggs, and, and many others through the years. So kind of give us your background as far as as your involvement with the energy industry here in the Lafayette area. Uh, Well, Joe, uh, my wife and I have lived in South Louisiana for most of the last, well, I I went to school in Oklahoma and took a job for for Shell in New Orleans uh, out of school. So I've been, except for two years, in South Louisiana ever since then. Uh, we first lived in Lafayette in 1984 and went through the dark times of the mid-80s that people may remember and uh, returned to the area in 1995 when I went to work for my current employer, uh, Badger Oil Corporation. And just you know, from your perspective, how important is it for Louisiana to not just be involved with but actively celebrate the energy industry in our state? Well... Southwest Louisiana and, and the Lafayette area has a challenge, and we need to exploit our strengths. Uh, uh, the industry is uh, in South Louisiana, is in, uh, but we have technologies uh, that are felt around the world. It was 75 years ago this year, I think, that uh, uh, the first offshore well uh, was drilled just south of Morgan City. And since that time, Southwest Louisiana, uh, Acadiana, the the garage workshops and the shop floors have uh, made it possible uh, to extract oil and gas from not just our nation's shores, but with the Louisiana flavor is felt from the North Sea to the Persian Gulf to Indonesia, and. Uh, It's the lifeblood. Whether or not an individual knows it in the Lafayette area, you are touched by the energy industry, and it is a thing that's important to you. And uh, uh, we want to see that continue. Whatever the energy transition happens uh, in the future of our country, it's going to depend on the technologies that got their birth right in this area. So... As far as, so as, as this year's Lackalooie, like, what are your responsibilities as far as the, the Energy Fest next week uh, are concerned? Well, I help get the word out. 
uh, where uh, they give me the big gold scissors to cut the ribbon to open the show uh, 9.30 on Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, generally act as the public face uh, of the show uh, to help spread the word and get the message out uh, about, you know, maintaining the the focus on energy and and uh, while having a good time doing it. So uh, that's kind of what Lanco is all about. And uh, what kind of things can we expect at uh, at Energy Fest next week? Well, don't expect it to be the same as Lanco was thirty years ago. Uh, my first Lanco was was kind of a, a country fair type event. It was a, a great atmosphere to mm-hmm. to get out and see people in the industry. But if you needed a new uh, desk calendar or a yardstick, that's that's what you went to Line Coop for. Uh, modern times are hard for trade shows. Uh, with the pandemic and and what's happened in our industry has presented a real challenge. And the challenge to Lyco is is to deliver a value to uh, the entire community, mm-hmm. not just the oil industry, but to everyone. As I said, we, it, the oil industry is going to touch you in some way, not just the oil industry, but the bigger picture, the energy transition to. Uh, natural gas exports that we're doing so much of out of Sabine Pass, uh, carbon capture and sequestration that's going to be a, a factor in the future. So uh, this year's show, instead of focusing on oil field tools and techniques and technology, is going to have kind of a broader focus that is going to deliver value to people, whether they be in the banking industry, finance, real estate, insurance, whatever. If you want to know what the trends are in energy, LIGCO is a, is a good place to go to quickly get up to speed on what's going on. All right. So uh, we're going to have to take a break here in a second. But before we do, and I, I want to get you back in the, in, the next, in the next segment, too, to kind of talk about just uh, – energy and energy policy in the U.S. today. But before we take this break, um, you know, the pandemic, I think, hit LAGCO pretty hard. It, it really put a stop to things right now. Um, how excited are you and, 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 and LAGCO in general at just being able to get this event back on? Oh, it's terrific. I was uh, chairman of the show in 2015. I think the, the, the 2000, there was a show in 2017 in Lafayette. And uh, uh, the 2019 show uh, relocated to New Orleans, and this is this is a return to the Lafayette area. I think a lot of people share with me the excitement of, of, of bringing back an old friend that's been so important to the community, and and uh, getting to know the new direction that that the show is taking. Awesome. Well, Steve Maley is our guest. He's this year's LADCO Lou for the LADCO Energy Fest. Let's go ahead and take this break. Steve, when we come back, let's talk about energy policy in the U.S. right now, because I know that you have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, We'll be back here in a few minutes here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL 232-1542. If you want to call in, you can also send a message through the KPEL app chat. Let's return to our guest, Steve Maley, this year's LADCO Lou for the LADCO Energy Fest. 
And uh, aside from being Ladco Louie, I also know Steve as somebody who has a lot of thoughts on energy policy and the energy industry here, not just in Louisiana, but across the United States. So, Steve, I'd like to ask, because we are in kind of a precarious situation right now, we're seeing gas prices rise. We have seen a lot of uh, a lot of changes in the energy industry, oil and gas industry here in Louisiana, and just kind of the political changes and the policy changes across the country. What are your thoughts about how we can try to start fixing some of the problems that we're seeing? Well, as you would expect, I'm a pretty strong believer in how important uh, oil and natural gas are to the to the country's uh, overall energy, overall economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think as the last administration showed, uh, there was a value placed on having a strong domestic industry that translated into an important foreign policy tool with foreign countries. And the change that we've seen lately is 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 really kind of troubling. Uh, we did see a rapid increase in the price of gasoline that was driven by the price of crude oil uh, to a uh, level that uh, probably was unsustainable, around $120 a barrel. So it's backed off of that some. But uh, what we've seen is the the powers that be in Washington turn to the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, to alleviate that uh, pressure at the uh, pressure at the pump. Mm-hmm. Uh, that wasn't really what the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was created for, and we've seen a, a massive drawdown in the volume of oil. We're selling about a million barrels a day out of it. And the timetable should concern anyone who's uh, uh, serious about energy policy were that when it was announced, it was going to run for about six months, which coincidentally or not is going to end just after the November elections. Mm-hmm. And uh, a million barrels a day, the, the world uses about a hundred million barrels a day, but the the balance between supply and demand is is balanced on a on a pretty thin edge, and a million barrels a day can make a difference. Uh, so I don't think that the strategic reserve was put there uh, for that purpose. And I would expect to see when we stop selling uh, that million barrels a day, which which we can't sell it forever. Uh, prices will go back on, on, on the rebound. So I think one of the biggest concerns I have, just from uh, not just an energy perspective, but kind of, as you mentioned, the foreign policy perspective of it too, is that we we have, because of this net importing policy change, basically, we're now dependent on other countries. Whereas if we had kept up with our domestic production and tried to increase it, we would be in a better position. But the White House is countering with this claim, oh, there's 9,000 leases out there, and they're not being used. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit? I, I had like an everyday analogy on the 9,000 leases comment. We've, I've heard it as leases and permits. It never really was clear in my mind what that represented. Mm-hmm. 
but in any case, the it, it was nine thousand onshore uh, Bureau of Land Management leases that are controlled by the feds, and and the the politicians in Washington are saying, well, you have the leases, just go drill them. And the analogy I would draw is with a car dealership that three years ago we were accustomed to seeing a full selection of sedans, pickups, minivans, SUVs, whatever. Uh, and with supply chain issues uh, and a, a, a lagging economy, we're seeing uh, a depletion of that inventory to all-time low levels. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I want to buy a, a, a new vehicle, well, there's nothing standing in my way. Go, go. The, the, the lot has vehicles. Yes, but the inventory's at an all-time low, and I can't buy the kind of vehicle I'm looking for. Right. That's the point. And so the analogy I would draw, you can't just measure it by raw numbers. All leases were not created equal. Mm-hmm. The oil and gas was put there by the good Lord wherever he put it. It's our job to go find it. And a lease that doesn't have oil and gas under it is of no value. Right. So what then, because I mean, it's clear that the Biden administration, it's clear that the party in power is really focused on going with the cult of climate change, going with really focusing on let's 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 do and look entirely at green energy which I'm not opposed to green energy but a major economic shift from one to the other seems like a bad strategic move what what is the quickest solution for America and is it a solution that the current powers that be would actually you know jump on well i think the the adult informed way to look at this situation is not that oh we can get off of fossil fuels in five years or ten years whether or not you like gasoline as a transportation fuel the oil and gas is important for furnishing several key the the steel the plastics Mm -hmm. uh, the industrial fertilizers and chemical feedstocks we need them, uh, the, and the concrete. We uh, Our modern industrial lifestyle depends on them. And we have focused on wind and solar as the green energy. They they can't address the, the big, heavy uh, industrial needs that uh, is the strength of the, of the so-called fossil fuels. So... Uh, I I think what's going to happen, uh, inevitably, there's going to be a uh, marketplace and probably a politically-led transition of transportation fuels uh, away from gasoline, but it's going to take a very long time. These things happen over generations, not over uh, election cycles. It's going to be 2050 uh, before we we see you know a wholesale change. All right, Steve. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Always enjoy talking to you, and I want to get you back on the air with us again too to talk about some of these energies. Thank you again, and uh, see Thanks you next so week. Thanks so much, Joe. All right, have a good one. We're going to take a break here on the Joe Cunningham Show. We'll be back with some other hot news of the day here on News Talk ninety six point five KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call and be part of the conversation, let's get the breaking news out of the way first. The January 6th committee has voted to subpoena former President Donald Trump to speak before them. Now, 
There is something you need to know. This was a unanimous vote. Uh, this was always where this was going to go. This was uh, on their last scheduled public hearing. This was supposed to be it. This was basically their season finale of the TV series, the January 6th committee. Uh, you need to know something, and there's something very dishonest in the way that this has happened. If they want, this was always going to end up with them wanting to subpoena Donald Trump. The, from the moment they started, this was about Donald Trump. Why they didn't try to subpoena him before now is beyond me. But everybody in the media, every activist on social media, breathlessly retweeted these reports that had come out and, and it since came true. Uh, the January 6th committee did have this vote. There's a problem. That congressional subpoena becomes null and void. Once this Congress is over and this Congress is over in January of next year, in just a few months, it will take longer for them to actually settle getting Donald Trump before the committee than that subpoena will actually be in existence. There, 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 will, there will naturally be a court case over this. There will, actually, there will naturally be an appeal to this. This is a show. This is 100% a political decision to have this vote today, knowing full well that the midterm election is less than 30 days away, that all of the tea leaves are reading that the Democrats are going to lose the House, and the House Republicans aren't going to renew this congressional subpoena. This congressional subpoena is null and void the moment the new Congress gets sworn in. And will not be renewed. This is a political thing. But you need to know that. The full story, the AP story, is up on KPL965.com. It is there for you to be able to see it. But just know part of this is the part of the story here is that this congressional subpoena is only active until the new Congress gets sworn in. And if things go the way everybody, including the Democrats, expect it to go. It will not be renewed when the next Congress is sworn in. All right, so let's get to the local news. There's a lot of local stories happening, and a lot of it is focused on education. I want to focus, though, on Acadia Parish. We'll get to LPSS in the next segment, but I want to focus on Acadia Parish. Uh, I had multiple people yesterday send me a link to the Acadia Parish School Board's website where they had a little news release saying, hey, we want, basically saying, we want the stakeholders to take part in this survey. We want to know how y'all feel about possibly shifting to a four-day school week. They would not be the first parish in the state to do that. I think Caldwell was first. Uh, Franklin and Avoyles have also adopted a four-day school week. North Caddo High School, I believe, is the only high school or the only school in Caddo Parish to make that shift. Other districts are looking. Natchitoches Parish a couple years ago brought up the idea, but it was killed at a school board meeting. There are several parishes in the state looking at it. There are, I think, more than 500 districts around the country, more than 1,600 schools that have switched over to a four-day school week. It is an interesting proposal. I tend to favor it, but there are some caveats to it that you need to know. The first caveat is that this would put undue burden on working or on families with working parents. 
because families with working parents, those parents who work outside the school systems, who work five or six day work weeks or more, they would have to find childcare for their kids for that Friday, something they would not have had to do before, especially if they are younger. If the children are younger, they have to have childcare for them. Not everybody has family or, you know, or anybody like that to be able to watch their kids. So that is a cost that will go on working on families with working parents. There is minimal benefit. There's minimal cost savings that actually go into this. Very modest. Most studies have shown there's really not a whole lot of savings that go into shutting down school for one extra day a week. Then, of course, you have to decide when this is going to happen. Uh, Avoyles Parish, uh, I think... I think I think Avoyles was the one that that uh, I think they were the ones that that Friday Saturday Sunday is their weekend. There are some that do Saturday Sunday Monday as their weekend, and then they go the other four days of the week. There are some proposals out there that suggest a midday or a midweek uh, break, but typically it's either take off the Friday or take off the Monday. Nobody reports this isn't a students stay home, teachers go to work thing. This is the schools are shut down for a day a week. It's a good idea on the mental health side. It's a good idea to give kids the extra day to work on their schoolwork, but also to decompress from the five strenuous days. Now, flip side to that is the school days have to get longer in order to accommodate those hours lost. Here in Louisiana, you have a required number of minutes that you have to spend in your classrooms in particular subjects. So you have to extend the school days to make sure they get those in a week. And that will mess with schedules. That, that uh, I think one research, uh, one research paper, one article I read while looking into this mentioned that, uh, you know, one of the, one of the districts, I think they had chosen their day off as the Monday, but you know, you have Friday night football. And if you have school going on till four thirty-five in the, in the afternoon, those football play- players have to leave hours before then if they've gotten away game. So essentially, you're taking a bunch of kids out of class a lot longer, a lot missing a lot more class time than they would because of extracurricular activities. But the benefits are there not just for the students, but for the teachers. The teachers who spend a lot of time having to go through layers upon layers upon layers of bureaucracy because teaching has become a bureaucratic nightmare for teachers. It gives them more time to plan. It gives them more time to make sure their grades are kept up. It gives them more time to reach out and contact parents. Stuff that they are forced to do late into the hours of the evening and well into the weekends because they don't have time during the day. The the supposed planning and lunch times that a lot of teachers are supposed to have, they don't get because they're buried under filling out paperwork, having to write up kids, having to do all of this other stuff, and they don't have the time to do that. So all that extra work gets taken home. But a day off away from all that does help out a little bit. I tend to be in favor of the proposal. I understand the caveats of it. But here's the thing. If Acadia Parish does it, then the surrounding parishes need to watch out. Let me real quick, because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too up on my geography like I should be. What is surrounding Acadia Parish? Evangeline, St. Landry, Lafayette, Vermilion, 
uh, Allen, Jefferson Davis. Oh, good, the map pulled up. And Cameron. That's all the parishes that surround Acadia Parish. If Acadia Parish shifts to a four-day work week, you will have highly qualified, certified teachers who leave those districts to go work in Acadia Parish. That, too, is a big deal. That would be a problem in an era where we're already having teacher shortages. Acadia Parish might not have a teacher shortage. They might be, you know, well on their way to having a fully staffed schools, having uh, classroom numbers that are down because they've got so many people who want to teach there. But our parish, along with other parishes all around us, they will all suffer for that. And that in turn would make, say, Lafayette try to consider, make Vermilion kind of consider. I mean, Lafayette and Vermilion parishes are the are uh, I think the two highest performing parishes in the area. And they would lose the teachers that have kept those scores so high to Acadia Parish. And it would force a fundamental change in those parishes. Do they consider it then? That's one of the things that would have to be considered. I can tell you right now, I know plenty of teachers who, if Acadia Parish decided to jump to a four-day work week, will hand in their resignation letters immediately. They would want to go work over there because it's better for them. And I don't blame them. I don't think it's bad for them. But it will leave other school systems kind of in the lurch. There is that concern. And there are concerns with just how much kids would be able to tolerate a longer school day as opposed to a five-day school week. Are kids overworked? Are they too stressed? I mean, this is a lot of this is post-pandemic reaction. A lot of this was within the last couple of years. This trend was starting before the pandemic, but it's really kind of expanded to now. You know, at, at kpel965.com, I wrote the story. Uh, I broke it down into 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 chunks. Uh, what are the benefits to the model? The impacts would have on Acadiana, like I've been saying. Uh, what some of the experts are saying. And there are, I mean, the, the, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and Mark's going to laugh at me. The science isn't settled on this. <laughs> the science is not settled on four-day work weeks. There is a lot of conflicting research out there on the benefits. I like the idea. I really do. And if somebody asked me my opinion, I would say, very frankly, I think it would be great for the students and for the teachers. But there are impacts outside of that realm that do need to be considered. So I wonder how the folks of Acadia Parish would respond to that, because this right now is just a survey to gauge interest. And I get the feeling that the surrounding parishes are looking at Acadia Parish to see what's going to happen there, because they in turn might have to start putting out similar feelers. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, the other big school story of the day, LPSS, can parents be held accountable for their kids making terrorizing threats against schools. We'll talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. All right, welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call and be part of the conversation, you can also send a message to the KPL app chat. All right, so 
Can a parent be held liable, financially responsible for the bad decisions of their kid if their kid calls in a threat or posts a social media thread that forces the school to get shut down and it's a prank? That's the question that the school board asked last night. They asked their lawyer. They asked, uh, they asked the district attorney, Don Landry, the same question. Uh, and the answer, in short, from, uh, from the LPSS attorney, Bob Hammonds, is, yeah, you can. Now, there is, uh, there is a caveat to this. This is civil liability. This is restitution that will be determined uh, in civil court rather than in a, in a criminal court. Uh, but Hammond's response to the board was, we have to be able to prove the damages. I do think that parents are responsible for the actions of their children. And if, in fact, the school system incurred expenses as the result of their actions, and you can prove it was their actions that necessitated those expenses, I think that a civil case... Uh, that in a civil case, the school would be entitled to recovery of damages. I don't disagree. And I think it's just one more tool in the toolbox of school systems that will end up having to fight these pranks that are going on. I mean, we've, we had, uh, we've had a dozen lockdowns since the start of the school year. We had seven over the course of seven days. We've had Paul Bro, Acadia, uh, yeah, Acadiana, and Lafayette High. All three of them have had more than one lockdown apiece. We've had lockdowns in the surrounding parishes. And there have been five kids arrested in Lafayette Parish. Kids, yes, five kids arrested, five juveniles arrested for terrorizing. Terrorizing itself is a felony that will get you up to 15 years in prison and up to $15,000 in fines. But if you force a school to shut down, if you force a school to have to incur expenses because of your terrorizing, because of your threat, of your prank, yes, you should be held liable. And because they are juveniles, they are the responsibility of their parents. The parents, yeah, I think should be responsible, should be held liable for it. So that was one of the decisions last night. Was, um, it was nothing official, but basically the school board was looking for guidance on it. Can we sue for restitution? And the answer seems to be yes. Don Landry said that he uh, he believes, uh, he said, I certainly see where parents would be responsible for the actions of their children. That is pretty definitive. Parents are responsible for the actions of their children. And yes, as we've talked about on education issues a time or two at least, a lot of the problem that we are seeing with kids is lack of parental involvement. It's not the only problem, but that is a part of it. Lack of parental involvement does typically lead to some of these issues with kids who are so detached from the reality of the situation that they are creating. Now, these are kids who just wanted to cause a lockdown. They probably weren't thinking about the fact that they could be arrested and charged with a crime that could get them 15 years in prison. Or make them uh, make them liable for up to fifteen thousand dollars in fines. These are kids who just wanted to shut down school because they were tired of school. We're at the end of the nine weeks. Who knows? Maybe they thought uh, shutting down the school would delay their homework that they didn't do that day. Maybe they were just trying to cause a little bit of chaos. Who knows? 
But these are life-altering mistakes, and they need to be held liable for them. They need to be held responsible for them. Now, uh, Don Landry, uh, a district attorney, brought in Chris Landry, who works at the office. He is in charge of, of juvenile prosecutions and, and the process that they go through there. Uh, and he explained, and, and I, we've had questions on the air, uh, both my show and Shannon is offsides. You know, what is happening to these kids? You know, what are they getting arrested? Here's the process. Once the juvenile, and this is from Chris Landry at the district attorney's office. Once the juvenile is arrested, there's a 72-hour period that happens. Within that 72 hours, uh, it moves to an answering hearing where they can admit or deny the allegations. Then you're going to have a motion to take a month later. Then you have a trial period, so it can move up to three months depending on if they get reports or information from law enforcement. They can move on with the prosecution then. But this isn't just a catch-and-release type thing. These kids go to a juvenile detention home and they are being charged with, and they are going to have to go on trial for the crime of terrorizing. But you, there has to be some deterrence to it. Now, Don Landry uh, says he wants to work with the school board. He wants to go around. He wants to talk to the kids, talk to their parents, help them understand the very real consequences of this action. I think that's a great idea. But there are some things that just aren't going to work. Uh I can't remember who was at the school board. Somebody said we need to put uh, we need to put metal detectors at the front of every school. You can't feasibly do that. It bottlenecks everything. You can't ensure that everybody's going in through the same door. I'm at my old school. I know that there are, there are different in- entrances for how kids get into the school, and they come in in huge groups. You can't necessarily do that. Plus, the people who are actually bringing guns to school aren't coming through with a gun in their backpack, sitting there for hours in the day, just twitching, waiting to to get up and get going. These are people who come onto campus, gun in hand, with the intent to kill. They're not sitting around all day. So a metal detector wouldn't stop that. We need more deterrence. We need more deterrence against the threats, against the practical jokes. And that's something that the school board, I think, is really working on right now. There's also talk of improved communication, which I think is great, and consequences for the kids. It's not just... You know, you get to come back. It's you need a mental evaluation before you come back. It's not. Uh, it, it's it's not. It's not again catch and release. It's not like that. All right, let's take a twenty-three hour break. I'll talk to you guys again tomorrow here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter, Joe P Cunningham, Facebook.com/slash Joe Cunningham Show. Show notes at JoeCunninghamShow.substack.com. Sign up and get those emails daily. Talk to you guys again real soon here on News Talk ninety-six point five KPL.